Welcome back to the podcast. This is Shaw, creative and technical director here at Evans for Faith. And since it's Friday, we are back in our minor character study. And today we get to meet another unnamed character, which is the Oracle of Philippi. So um, before we jump into it, I just want to remind you guys of kind of what's going on here at Evans for Faith. And actually, I'm going to go a little different direction with this today because um, we are still looking for people to come alongside us and help support this ministry um, we are completely uh, donor supported uh, through one-time donations and monthly donations. It takes about $12,500 monthly to help cover salaries um, and all the infrastructure and operations that we need to help keep this ministry going. And if you've only listened to our podcast, we actually do a lot more than just the podcast. We record videos that we put on our YouTube channel, a lot of articles and courses that we're putting on our website. We also do live events. So a lot of donations often will help cover some of those expenses so we can go to places and churches that maybe can't afford us, um, but that we can at least have our expenses covered so that we can still come. Um, we also do some adventure trips and a lot of the donations too have been used to give scholarships to help either students or people come on some of these trips. One of them was actually the marine biology trip we did this year where two students actually came to know Christ. So that was really exciting to see those kids really be able to discover God in their own way. So if you'd like to become a donor and help keep uh, keep the ministry going, keep us going for the next few months, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org slash give. That's evidence number four, faith.org slash give. I'll also have a link in the description. So with that, um, let's jump into Keep the Fires Burning and meet the Oracle of Philippi. Hi, and welcome to Evidence for Faith. It's your host, Michael Lane, and I am here with uh, another lesson in our series we're doing about minor Bible characters, but major lessons that they teach us, a way of keeping your fires burning and your walk with God, what we can learn from these people, uh, these numerous minor, minor characters. I mean, we often study the major characters. We hear a lot about them, but these minor characters uh, that we are familiar with sometimes, some of them we've never even hardly heard of, um, never, seldom, seldom do we ever hear sermons on them, but others, oh, we hear about them a little bit, but we never really study them. We just sort of glance over them. One of which is today's lesson, um, is a person, we don't get a name. We have no name of this person from Scripture or from any of the historical uh, early church fathers or historians and stuff. Um, she's simply called the Oracle of Philippi. Um, she's a demon-possessed girl who, um, and is called the Oracle of Philippi. And this lesson is all about hearing the Word of God. Her story takes place in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, Verses 16 through 24. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, if it's if you're able to do that, I know many people listen to these on in vehicles or, or at work and, and whatever. Um, we're just glad you're listening to them, and I'm hoping that God will teach you something from these, these series, uh, these different series that we have on Evidence for Faith, and this one here. This one's really a, a special one to me. This one I, I just love. I love doing research on this. And being a person who used to work in research, I love this kind of stuff. But um, there are some fascinating things that we're going to open up and, and show you having to do with this oracle in Philippi that um, Paul comes in contact with. But let's begin with a story. I want to tell you, first of all, um, this is a story that actually um, 
is from a, a book I, I have called The Edge of Adventure. It's by a guy named uh, Keith Miller and Bruce Larson. Um, and they tell this story, and I'm just going to read it um, as it is in, in their book, because this is a fascinating story. The Bible can change not only a life, but an entire lifestyle. Most of us have heard the story of the mutiny on the bounty. But few of us have heard how the Bible played an extremely vital part of that historic event. The Bounty was a a British ship which set sail from England in 1787 bound for the South Seas. The idea was that those on board would spend some time among the islands transplanting, fruit-bearing, and producing trees and doing other things to make some of the islands more uh, habitable. After about 10 months of the voyage, the bounty arrived safely at its destination. And for six months, the officers and the crew gave themselves to the duties placed upon them by their government. When a special task was completed, however, the order came to embark and the sailors rebelled. They had formed a strong attachment for the native girls, and the climate and the ease of the South Sea island life was much to their liking. The result was the mutiny on the bounty, and the sailors placed Captain Bly and a few loyal men adrift in an open boat. Captain Bly, in an almost miraculous fashion, survived the ordeal, was rescued, and eventually arrived home in London to tell his story. An expedition was launched to punish the mutineers, and in due time, 14 of them were captured and paid the penalty under British law. But nine had gone to another distant island. There they formed a colony. Perhaps there has never been a more degraded, debauched social life than that of that colony. They learned how to distill whiskey, from a native plant. And the whiskey, as usual, along with other habits, led to their ruin. Disease and murder took the lives of all the native men, and all but one of the white men named Alexander Smith. He found himself the only man on the island surrounded by a crowd of women and half-breed children. Alexander Smith found a Bible among the possessions of one of the dead sailors. The book was new to him. He had never read it before. He sat down and read it through. He believed it, and he began to appropriate it. He wanted others to share in the benefits of this book, so he taught classes to the women and the children as he read to them and taught them the scriptures. It was 20 years before a ship ever found that island, and when it did, a miniature utopia was discovered. The people were living in decency, prosperity, harmony, and peace. There was nothing of crime, disease, immorality, insanity, or illiteracy. How was it accomplished? By the reading, the believing, and the appropriation of the truth of God.
true story. How fascinating this is about that familiar mutiny on the bounty ordeal. Well, Jews and Christians were very fortunate indeed when you compare otherworldly religions, especially those of the ancient world. That's because the Jews were the chosen people of God through whom he gave his word, what we commonly call the Bible. And since we Christians were born out of the Jewish roots, I mean, after all, we worship Jesus, who was Jew, we too have access to the actual word of God. No other nation on earth was so blessed, yet no, no other nation on earth was held so responsible either than the Jews and Christians. Now, this was not the case in the ancient world of Greece and Rome. To hear the word of the gods or to find their answer to questions for daily living to career choices, it was difficult to ascertain what the gods indeed thought or wished. For these Gentiles did not have an inspired written word from their deities. To understand this, we need to look back in history to a time when trying to discover how the will of the gods was determined. So let's see how, how they uh, were required to find the will of the gods for their lives. Now, in the ancient world of Greece and Rome, the word of the gods was generally not written down on scrolls or tablets like the Jews had, and, and so they didn't have access to this. They were required, if you had a question you want to ask the gods, you were required to go to one of the temples of the gods and personally ask the priests there um, the question and that you are looking for the answer to. The most sought-after God during the time of the New Testament and intertestamental times, the most sought-after God for all of this, for determining the paths of your life, was Apollo. Now, besides being the god of light and music, he was also the god of oracle. An oracle was a message from the gods. It was a message, but it was also referred to it also referred to the person giving the message, a word from the gods. It was an answer to a question that if you asked, if I do this, what will happen? The oracle would then say, if you did this, then this will happen. But it did not necessarily mean that it was the future. You see, it was a response to a question. You would ask a question, you would get possibly a response. The oracle would tell you what the result would be if you follow a certain course of action. That's how this worked. In a way, this is sort of like fortune-telling. Yeah. The message, or oracle, came from the underworld, and Apollo had connections with the underworld and was able to give answers to his followers concerning what would happen if they followed a certain course of action. But Apollo did not have temples in many cities. The major cities uh, that Apollo had temples in were, well, of course, there was one in Delphi, Greece. The ruins are very famous today. It's quite a tourist attraction. It's about 80 miles uh, journey from Athens or from Corinth. Um, it was the premier temple, and priests were sent from this temple to other temples. This was the chief temple of Apollo, and it's, it's beautiful. As I say, people go there to this day. So if you lived in Athens or Corinth, this is where you would go. Um, there was another temple in Didyma, which is in present Turkey. Uh, that was the second largest temple in the ancient world, the temp Apollo's temple at Didyma. 
huge temple. Again, the remains of it are still to this day. You can see the, the wells and some of the columns and the steps are still standing to this day. There was a temple in Basse in western Greece. This temple sat unusually in a north-south direction because of the way the mountaintop it sat on was built and, and how it was formed. There was another um, in Gortina, which is on the island of Crete. Uh, again, you can see in, in all these places, you can see um, ruins and tourists flock to these to this day. Syracusa. On the island of Sicily, there was another one. And there was also one in Miletus, which is, Miletus is in present-day uh, present Turkey. Um, there's not much left of that temple uh, remaining today. But some of the others, you can see quite a few features to them. Thus, these are the places you went. You notice it's, they're not all over the place. There's only select places. Thus, to find out the will of the gods for your life... Uh, you usually went to Apollo. Now, to find out the will of Apollo, you had to go to his temple and ask his priest. To do this, you understand what this requires? It requires some major sacrificing in your life. For instance, they had to plan out the trip, including, how am I going to pay for lodging? Where will I, where will I sleep? Uh, how much money do I need for food? They had to take off time for work for because this is going to take you in some cases, depending upon where you live, you might be going having to go hundreds of miles. And that could sometimes run into months. You had to have money on hand also, as everybody who's taken a vacation or a trip someplace, little things come up and you need some extra spending money often for trips. So you had to plan that out. Also, when you got there, you had to purchase a sheep. Yes, a sheep. Why? Because to see if your question would even be heard by Apollo's, um, uh, by Apollo or his oracle, um, the priest would take your sheep and then slaughter it and examine its liver. And there were certain things they looked for, apparently, um, to see if, if Apollo would answer your question. Hmm. Um, so you had, to, you had to buy a sheep. Usually they had these nearby, so you could buy them. You didn't have to carry it for hundreds of miles. Though I'm certain probably people did at certain times like that. And you had to bring something to occupy your life for the time you're going to be there waiting for an answer. Now, once they're at the temple, it's believed, from what I can research and find in many, many sources on this, it's believed that you would do, uh, the, the person would do something like this following methodology. So this is how um, scholars, and from Greek writings and stuff, we, we find that this is how the system worked. Now, you've traveled, you've got the expenses, you've got a question you want to ask about your life. Maybe should I marry this girl, or should I purchase this chariot, or whatever. Should I buy this land or this lot, whatever. Whatever your question is, what you have to do when you get to the temple, is you follow this method first. You would have to wash your whole body. You got to purify yourself before you come into the temple. Second, a priest would wash the sheep that you have. Third, the priest would then slaughter the sheep and examine its liver, as I said, to see if the gods would hear, not necessarily answer, but if the gods would hear your question. Many times people, no doubt, were refused at this point. Fourth, if approved, if the liver showed some type of sign, 
they would then um, allow you to go to the temple, to the oracle door of the temple, the chief open door there. There you would wait, because the doors were closed. You would wait until the door inside would be open. So you're just standing there waiting with your question. And then the priest would open the door, and with a lot of dramatics and fanfare, he would come out, and when the priest, he would be dressed up like Apollo, and would stand then at the doorway and shout, Apollo, we'll hear your question! And then you would bow and present your question to this priest. The priest would go back inside, and the doors would be closed. Then... You played the waiting game. And sometimes, apparently, from what we can read, you sometimes had to wait for months to get an answer. And so we have found at some of these temples, on the outskirts of the temple doors themselves, carved into some of the pavement are some games, um, games that are carved onto the stone floors uh, that obviously people played while they're waiting, sitting around waiting to see if the gods will answer their question. Now, what took place inside the temple that you can't see? Because you're sitting outside playing like an early form of Monopoly or something. you got to have some quick game. Um, so as you're sitting inside, this or outside, this is what takes place inside as you waited. The priest now has written down your question on a tablet and goes and gives it to the oracle. Now, she is called uh, a term. There's a term for the oracle, um, this female girl who's going to be giving, and Apollo speaks through, she's called a Pythia, P-Y-T-H-I-A, Pythia. Now, according, go back to your Greek mythology. The Pythian was a serpent, a dragon-like creature that dwelled in Pytho at the foot of, of Mount Parnassus. This is according to Greek mythology. It guarded the oracle there, but Apollo kills it. After this event, the name was transferred to Apollo, and he would then be able to speak to certain maidens that were then called Pythians. Apollo would speak to a Pythia, and she would be, in most cases, she had to be, well, in all cases, she had to be a virgin. And she would have to fast for a period of time um, so that Apollo could speak to her. Now, in early times, as I have researched this, in earlier periods of, um, well, throughout the Greek Empire and into the Roman periods, um, she was often, Apithia was usually a young virgin, a girl. Um, And in later times, as the Roman Empire expanded and got older, they stopped using a young maiden and they used uh, an, an elderly woman who had never been married, was still a virgin, etc. The change, why, why did they change from a young, young girl to an old lady, was because from what, what we think happened, uh, what historians um, have, have uh, determined anyway, was men were kidnapping the young maidens <laughs> and, and taking them off, or sometimes the priests or other people around the temple would have sex with the young maiden. She's no longer a virgin, and if she's not a virgin, she cannot function as an oracle for Apollo. So that's why they start switching to an older woman in this role. Now, let me tell you something else that is fascinating. 
And this explains why the Temple of Apollo was only in certain places around the Roman Empire. You see, they had to they had to build the temple over a fissure in the earth. When they would be walking around, if they've ever found, they're moving through the mountains and stuff, and they found a, a fissure, a crack in the earth that went very, very deep down into the underworld. That's where they would build these temples to Apollo. So they had one of these fissures at these places like this. Now, what these fissures would be, that's a natural occurrence, and there's gases that come up from this fissure from down in the earth. Um, as we scientists have studied these fissures in these different areas, they pretty much figure it's there's a large amount of methane, also a, a, a gas called ethane, and um, ethylene. Ethylene gives actually a sweet odor um, as, as it comes up. But these combination of gases are what are um, diffusing up through the crack in the, in the fissure of the earth. And so what they would do is they would have the oracle suspended in like a little swing or a little um, uh, chair-like thing. Uh, usually it was a disc formed, and she would be suspended right above that. So she's inhaling these these gases um, coming up out of the earth. By inhaling this, she's not getting enough oxygen because of these gases, and it would induce a trance state. Um, and in some cases, no doubt, um, if you breathe in this type of a gas um, of combination of ethane and methane and ethylene and stuff like this, it can actually distort your voice, too. So just think back in the ancient world. The person is suspended over this. She's sort of high, if you might put it that way. She's sort of high on the fumes, and she's just um, gibbering on and on and on in, in a very strange, not her normal voice is what it would be heard. So you see how all this worked. Um, the oracle then, she is suspended over this. Now, as I said, the priest has recorded your, your uh, question on a tablet. The priest comes to the oracle. The oracle would receive the question. Now remember, this gal's high on these gases. Would receive the question and sometimes would then give an answer in some form of gibberish, which the priest who's standing, the priest would be standing around the oracle, and we'd, they would hear the gibberish, and they'd sit in here with their question, and if it made any sense whatsoever, uh, that they could like translate, oh, that must be the answer to this one. So they would try to decipher what she's saying in relation to the questions that are on the tablet. They ask the oracle the question, she's high, gibberish language, distorted voice, whatever, gives an answer. Now, the priest then, when he gets the answer to your question, the priest returns to the doorway with great fanfare again um, and opens it up the doors and then um, proclaims the word of God to them. And finding out your answer, now you can return home. Isn't this quite a process to find out information from the gods? To know what the gods' will for your life is in certain various circumstances and situations? Now, to the Jews, this whole, this whole thing is just detestable. Uh, God explicitly told the Jews not to seek information from the underworld or from demons. Going back to the Torah, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 through 11 reads, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or 
tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a wizard or a necromancer. Leviticus 19 uh, God again. He he tells us that this is detestable. False oracles and false seers are detestable to him. Leviticus 19.31 reads, Do not turn to mediums or wizards. Do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Now, let me just explain something, though, here, so we're not confused. God was not against all oracles, just false oracles. How can I say that? Well, he uses in the Bible, in, in the Old Testament and New Testament, he uses the term oracle about himself as his word. Oracle, the term, just means that you're getting word, you're getting an information or um, some, some statement, some declaration from a source. Well, God, that's what our Bible basically is. Malachi, for instance, Malachi chapter 1, verse 1, it starts off in the English Standard Version here as we're reading, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. That's Malachi 1.1. You see, the word oracle is not a bad word. It's mentioned 18 times in the Old Testament and at least twice in the New Testament as being the word of God. The word of God is an oracle, but it's coming from the true God, not from some girl over a gaseous fissure in the earth. So often the phrase in the Bible where you see the word um, translated into Hebrew or Greek and then into English, it's usually something like the word of the Lord came to Elijah, something like that. So the word oracle is not a bad word. It just depends, because what it is, it's just, this is a message coming from God. What makes it bad is, well, where are you getting the information from? Is it coming from the Word of God, the true Word of God, from the true God? You know, that's what's important. It just depends on where you get the Word. Now, with that information, let's begin this character study. I mean, boy, you're talking about, Michael, that was a long introduction. (laughs) Let's get to the passage. Well, we are. Um, This is going to be, it's written by Luke. Um, we're, we're in Acts, so Luke was writing Acts. Paul and Silas are the two missionaries that he's traveling with, and they're on their second missionary journey, and have come to the city of Philippi in Macedonia. While in this city, a strange occurrence unfolds. Starting at verse 16 and reading through 24, we read, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack, in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to be beaten with rods. And when they had 
inflicted many blows upon them. They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the innermost prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, I got to tell you, in all honesty, this passage used to bother me. I used to be so puzzled by it. Uh, For instance, why did God give us this story? That's one thing that I often wonder. As I read the Bible and I come across particularly characters or strange little events and stuff, I often wonder, why did God give us this? Because God is a God of order and organization. He's not a God of random. He's always got a plan. So why did God give us this story was one thing that bothered me. But the second thing was this, and this one bothered me the most. Why would a riot emerge in a city from one girl losing her power to tell the future. I mean, read through the New Testament. Jesus expelled many demons from people without ever causing major riots. Even other disciples and apostles cast out demons without any riots forming. So why did this one instance cause a massive riot in a very popular and um, very well-known city in the Roman Empire named Philippi? The reason is now understandable when you start to take everything I have talk, talked about and explained already to this. You see, he, Paul just didn't shut the mouth of a demon-possessed girl, but they extinguished the voice of their gods. This was a very serious crime to these Gentiles, for Paul and Silas are responsible for shutting up the voice of Apollo. She was a Pythia. That's quite an, a serious case now. In her case, she was demon-possessed, but she's an oracle. She's giving the words of the you know, fortune-telling and stuff, she, and she is speaking for, obviously, Apollo, the chief god that everybody went to for stuff like this. She was probably the oracle of Apollo in the city of Philippi. Now, the thing is, Philippi, as far as we know, did not have a proper temple for Apollo. The people living in Philippi didn't have to travel to one of the other cities I mentioned where the temples were because they had their own oracle of Apollo right there in the city. Do you see how convenient this was? Now, instead of having to travel hundreds of miles to the nearest um, Apollo uh, temple of Apollo, they have their own little oracle of Apollo right here in their setting. It's of great convenience having a Pythia in Philippi, but now it's gone. The people of Philippi no longer have easy access to the word of the gods. You see what's going on now? The passage in Acts chapter 16, verse 16, it uses the word uh, divination. Now, Whenever you come across stuff, I love to get back to the original languages, and I love to do word studies. One of my favorite type of Bible studies are word studies. They take a long time to do, but you go back and you study the individual words, and and you look up what these words are. And sometimes you find out a lot of fascinating information. By looking up this word in the ancient Greek, what is the word that's used here? It was the word puthon. Puthon in Greek mythology If you study Greek mythology, you'll make the connection here. Puthon in Greek mythology was the name of the Pythian uh, serpent, or the dragon, if you will, dwelling in Pytho, 
at the foot of Mount Parnassus, guarding the oracle of Delphi, who was slain by Apollo. That is the words being used here. So I'm not making this up. This all ties together. Thence the name was transferred to, remember, Apollo himself because he killed this this um, Puthon. He killed Puthon. He now has the ability to do this. So um, the word later, like I say, was applied to, um, this word is applied to diviners or soothsayers that um, and then when you read Greek in, um, literature and stuff and Greek mythology, you'll see that it's regarding, that word is regarding now the inspiration by Apollo himself. So since demons are agents of idolatry, they inspire idolatry. I mean, 1 Corinthians 10.20 says that specifically. The young woman in Acts 16.16 was possessed by a demon instigating the cult of You can read more of this by checking out yourself, um, going to Vine's Complete Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words and read more on that. But that's what this was. Paul had silenced the mouth of Apollo. Wow. So what can we learn from this? I mean, I understand why there was a major major riot, why this riot happened. He shut up the gods, not just a demon-possessed girl, the gods. He just took the convenience that everybody had living in that area, not having to go to a major temple, but could just find out the words of Apollo right there. He, he turned all that off. So what can we learn from this? Well, the thing that strikes me the most is this. What people had to do to hear the word of the gods in those days. What these Gentiles had to do just to hear the word of the gods. I mean, when you compare that, what I told you, to what Christians are allowed to do today, we don't have to travel to a temple. We don't have to wash our bodies. We don't have to go buy a sheep. We don't have to have our sheep washed and then slaughtered and it's liver examined for something or other to see if God will even listen to us. We don't have to wait months to be able to hear the oracle of God because the oracle of God is the Bible, the word of God. Now, I'm going to ask you some hard questions here. Let me ask you, when was the last time you read a passage in the Word of God? That's a hard question. Uh, when was the last time you even read a chapter in the Word of God? Now, there is no law saying thou shalt read a chapter a day, no. But how often do you listen to God is what I'm getting into. I mean, I, I often hear people say that they want to be a disciple of Christ, but then they go on and they explain that they never have time to read the Word of God. Makes me really wonder, how badly does someone really want to be a disciple of Christ? If you really do, why can't we get up 10 minutes earlier in our day? Or slot out some period of our busy schedule, just even 10, 15 minutes, just to listen to him? I remember as I was teaching this lesson one time with some adults, there was an adult man that came up to me afterwards, and he said, Michael, you were teaching this lesson to everybody, but it was actually written for me. And I said, how's that? 
He said, months ago, I got into this Harry Potter series, the books, the Harry Potter series. He asked me, ever read them? I said, no, I haven't. And he says, well, I picked up the, I was given the first one as a gift, he said. And then I started reading it and I just got so involved in this. I, I, I couldn't hardly put it down. And then the next book came out and then the, uh, the next. And he says, I have found myself, I've gone through the series and I've repeated going through the series. And I, I spend a time every single day reading this because I get so much enjoyment out of that. And he says, I haven't opened up my Bible on my own in months. You needed to be here. I needed to hear this. I'm so glad you spoke this and asked those hard questions because I got to change that. I got to put my Harry Potter down. I've got to get back into the Word of God and do it every day like I've been doing. I'm more faithful, he said, to Harry Potter than I am to God. And I'm ashamed to say it. So thank you. You see, folks, to be a disciple is to be a man or a woman of the oracle of God. That means his word, his text. If you're sitting here right now or wherever you're at listening to this, and you're saying to yourself that you want to be a true follower and and disciple of Jesus, yet you don't have time to read the word, I have to ask you a hard question. How badly do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Let me conclude with an interesting story I once heard. I don't know where I got this story. I have no idea, but I heard it many, many years ago, and it sort of stuck in my head because it's, it's fascinating. It's about a story that takes place before the days of electric refrigeration had been invented by people. Back then, um, people had ice houses, and this story takes place in an old ice house. Now, what they did is they would build, in certain cities, they would build a storage facility called an ice house. They're usually constructed of wood and thickly insulated with sawdust. In fact, my dad worked in an ice house in southern Illinois when he was just a small boy. He said that the owners would cut blocks of ice out of the frozen lakes and rivers during the winter and haul them into the ice house where they would then cover them with sawdust. He told me that even on hot summer days in the middle of the summer, he could go into the ice house and pull out a block of ice that was stored there six months earlier, and it's still intact. They would then travel by cart to uh, um, a house, and people had ice boxes. You didn't have electric refrigeration. You would put a large block of ice in the top of your ice box, and your perishables were underneath this because cold goes down. And so that was his job. In this story, though, as I was telling you, a man was working in this ice house someplace, and he lost his valuable watch. He dropped it somewhere in the sawdust. There's a lot of sawdust in these houses. He searched and he searched with no success. Then he called his fellow workers, and together they searched and searched for that lost watch, but no one found it, and the workday came to an end. That night, a young boy heard about the lost watch and that uh, he, this man had dropped in the dark ice house. He asked for permission and received it to search in the ice house, and so he went in by himself into this building. In less than an hour, 
he came out holding the watch in his hands. When others came and, and the, the owner of the watch asked, you know, how you found it so quickly? He said, oh, it was simple. How'd you do it? I laid down in the sawdust and I listened for the ticking of the watch. In the quiet and emptiness of the ice house, I could hear it. So I just crawled over to where it was and pulled it out of the sawdust. You know, there's a spiritual lesson here for us. To find the watch, the boy tried to hear the watch ticking. To do this, he had to be quiet and let it speak to him. Then he found it by the sounds it was making. Let me ask you, are you searching for an oracle from God? You don't have to go far. Just sit down with your Bible and search with it with diligence while quietly listening to his word. Father, I thank you for the Bible. What a wonderful gift you give us. Forgive us for not treasuring it as much as we, we should. Also, forgive us for not studying it as much as we should. But I thank you for it. And help us, Lord. May your Holy Spirit just put burning coals on our heads to get more into it every single day. That we would spend time listening to your oracle and then applying it to our lives. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining me on this lesson today of the Oracle of Philippi. I hope this makes a lot more sense to you as it did me when, when I was studying why this riot took place and what was all going on here. I hope this has helped you. And I hope in your walk with God that you listen closely to the Oracle of God. Get into his word. Study it. And just don't read it. Study it and then apply it to your life. Until we meet again, take care, and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. Evidence for Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry based in the USA. You can support this broadcast by donating online using the links in the description. And don't forget to leave us a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.